Hey, good morning, everybody. So we've been using uh, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy as our framework for a series that we're calling What Counts? And this is the last week in the series. And, and uh, one of the things I discovered, uh, I, th- I, t- I may have told you this before, I mentioned this a few weeks ago at Voorhees, if you were there, is that I remember the first time I ever preached a sermon. And I was invited to preach at a guest preacher at someone's church. I had never preached before in this person wanted to give me a chance to preach because he knew I wanted to be a pastor. And so he invited me there on a week that he wasn't there, but he didn't prep me well. He didn't let me know that it was also a service that was televised. Uh, it was only on a local Millville uh, TV station, but there were cameras. He also didn't tell me that standing right next to me would be somebody who would be interpreting. Add to that that I was about 21 years old, 22 years old, and I was a panic. And I flew through that message in about four minutes, and I had 20. (laughs) And I was begging for God to give me something else to say, because I knew that I had just gone through four minutes, and I had 16 more to go. Uh, I was worried that, or I I was worried that it was really obvious, but hoped that it wasn't. And on the way home, I said to Kelly, my wife, I said, how bad was that? She's like, oh, it was bad. I was like, oh, okay, great, that's good. So here's what I've noticed, though. That was 30 years ago, uh, more than 30 years ago. And uh, since then, I have the opposite problem. I get on Sunday morning and uh, believe that the message is all crafted, ready to go. And then at, uh, in my office at 6.30 this morning, I was going, God, I have too much to say. How, how, what do we win? What do we take away? And I've just wasted two minutes telling you that story. But I thought it was important to let you know where I struggle and where the struggle is real, people, okay? So we're going to jump right into this. That Timothy was a pastor of this church in Ephesus in the first century. That Ephesus, I mentioned last week, was kind of like the New York City of the first century. Uh, It uh, it had a population of nearly 250,000. It was a very metropolitan area. And because Ephesus was this important city in the Roman Empire geographically and culturally and economically, it was going to be and was a strategic city for this new church that was forming. And so having a church in Ephesus was a a very important critical piece for the expansion of the church. And it was difficult and no more difficult than it is in the 21st century to plant and launch churches. Ephesus was a challenging city to build a church. There were opposing values. There was this this interest and and, uh, focus on wealth and pleasure and success. We would never relate to that, I know, in the 21st century. But in the first century, that was a concern for wealth and pleasure and success. There were multiple thoughts about what was the correct way to worship and who was the right God to worship. Again, we would never have that kind of experience in the 21st century. And there were these differing and, 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 and uh, uh, um, um, contrary ideas about cultural norms and practices. At the same time, Nero, who is the Roman emperor at the time, has instituted a campaign against the Christians in Rome. Paul was concerned about the welfare uh, of the church during this persecution. Timothy is the pastor now of this church. And he's been the pastor for three years. And it's been an uphill climb. Uh, Possibly, Timothy is feeling inadequate and feeling responsible for the success or lack of success or not the greatest success that he might have expected. So he's experienced some inadequacy and also some responsibility. Now, Paul, when he's writing this second letter to Timothy, is 65 years old when he writes this letter. 
This is the final paragraph of his last known letter, and it's written to his close friend, Timothy. Paul is a prisoner in an underground Roman prison cell at the time of the writing of this letter. It's damp, it's dark, it's cold, and it's lonely. And several of Paul's companions have deserted him. And Paul knows that Nero's campaign of torture and death is headed his way. And certain death looms over him. And knowing all those things, let's read from 2 Timothy. It's up on the screen. Paul says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Here's what he urges Timothy. Preach the word of God. Be prepared. Whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you, Timothy, should keep a clear mind in every situation don't be afraid of suffering for the lord work at telling others the good news and fully carry the ministry of god ministry that god has given you so as we've been preparing this we knew we were going to preach this series months ago and as we were preparing this and as i was reading through the Timothy letters, uh, when I got to this paragraph, one of the things I wrote down in a notebook was, what's it like to be at the end of your life or in the face of uncertainty and in the face of death? What's it like in those moments to be so certain of truth and purpose? I mean, in a prison cell, where it's likely that he had a window at the bottom. He was at the bottom of the cave. There was a window that was his only outside connection that he could say to his friend Timothy, here's our purpose. Preach about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Be prepared Patiently correct. Encourage people. Keep a clear mind. Don't be afraid of suffering. How do you write those words from a prison cell? Work at telling others the good news. A few paragraphs earlier, Paul talks about his first trial before Rome, and he says it it didn't go well he says i had a chance to talk about jesus work at telling others the good news 
and fully carry out the ministry God has given me. It sounded eerily. This idea of being certain of truth and purpose sounded eerily like Martin Luther King's message that we just uh, just heard. We were debating where to play that in the series and felt that this message is the time that it fit best because another testimony is someone who was certain and sure during times of uncertainty. How do you get there? How do you get to that place? I'm kind of setting you up because I think in the next verses, the next few sentences, Paul gives us a clue up on the screen again it says as for me this is the very next sentence as for me my life has already been poured out as an offering to god the time of my death is near this is a person's dying declaration and then he says this i have fought the good fight i have finished the race and i have remained faithful and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, Paul, in those verses, uh, the next slide you're going to see, uh, he uses three phrases in one sentence. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Those are all sports terms in a sense he's he's using a sporting theme he says i have fought the good fight and like an athlete who's done his best he says hey i gave up my best shot i was called to this thing of preaching the word timothy i was called to this thing of talking to people about jesus and and uh i gave it my best i gave it my best and they said timothy i have finished the race he not only did his best he completed he crossed the finish line he, he committed to finishing. And then he says, I have remained faithful. He stayed within the rules. He didn't cheat. Now, there were lots of things I wanted to talk about with the Houston Astros. Right? I'm not gonna. Except that they cheated. What's that do? I was in a small group uh, on Tuesday, and the topic came up, and we spent 30 minutes talking about how does a culture like that get created? Because it wasn't one person. It was the culture of cheating. And Paul says, I gave it my best, I crossed the finish line, or I committed to finish, and I chose well. I stayed within the rules, I chose well. And he says there's a prize. Most commentators believe he's talking about the, a laurel wreath that will be placed on the Olympians after they win. He says there's a prize. So that was this encouraging thought as I was preparing for these messages, this idea of we're running this race and, and we are, uh, uh, you know, we give it our best and we, we commit to finish and we choose well. And then I was listening to a, uh, an interview and it was one of those interviews that, that uh, as soon as the guy said this, I quick grabbed a piece of paper because I had to write it down because I didn't want to miss it. 
I don't think to hit pause. You know, like, I'm sorry, I'm old, I guess. I know, I know that I can hit pause, but I don't think to do that. And I'm like going, I got to remember what he said. Remember what he said. Uh, I did have to go back because I didn't remember what he said. But he said this, it's up on the screen. Most people are living only a fragment of the dream they once had. Most people are living only a fragment of the dream they once had. So he goes on to say that growing up, we all had dreams, right? Whether it was to be an astronaut or a police officer or an artist, we all dreamed of something, right? Anyone remember? Anyone want to be a firefighter when they were growing up? All right, there we have one. Thanks, Paul. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? Did you want to be? Anybody want to be an astronaut? No? Oh, we got one in the back. Thanks, Susie. All right. All right. Yeah, so you remember you had those dreams, right? And I, I don't want to take time to, to, uh, to have you uh, share your dreams, but we all had dreams as kids of what we wanted to be when we grow up. And as we mature, our dreams can become reality. But sadly, this guy was saying that sadly for most people, it's not. And instead, we only live a fragment of the dream that we once had. Because of discouragements and because of struggles, they come along and, and, uh, and they chase away our dreams and they lead people to abandon those dreams because they just can't follow through on that dream. Decisions are made that work against the dream. It's the dream becomes diverted, it's redirected, or it, or it just plain ends. And the dream that we once had is no longer the dream that we have. Other times, the dream that we have, we think is headed towards the dream, and it ends up being something entirely different. And we see that it's not the dream we imagined about our life, and so we then follow through by ignoring or stifling or fighting against what is still deep inside of us because we settle for this dream that isn't the dream we originally had. So I was trying to think about this idea with this, this thought that Paul gives us, and I'm hoping this works. Anybody ever do a puzzle before? So when you do puzzles, what do you do? You look on the outside of the box. That's the first thing you do. Right? You buy a puzzle because you like the outside picture on the box, and you say, you know what? This is what I want. I want to see these birds on a picket fence. I want that. And the folks that create this puzzle promise you a few things. They promise you all the pieces will be in there because they seal the box beforehand. They also let you know how many pieces there are. And they give you a picture of what it looks like. And this is kind of how our dreams start. We have this idea of what life is supposed to be like. I do weddings. I'm actually moving into this. This is like heavy. I got a busy fall, folks. I don't have a lot of summer weddings. I've got a busy fall schedule for weddings. Lots of weddings coming up. And know what? Every one of those couples has a dream about what their marriage is going to look like. And they've got a picture in their mind of what it's going to be. So then what happens is you go home and you open the box and you break the seal and do those kinds of things and you dump it all out on the table. Oh, and this one even gives you, I, I haven't opened this, and this one even gives you a bigger display. 
That's nice. All right, we'll just leave that over there because I didn't know that was in there and I have nothing to say about that. And then what we discover is that it doesn't look like this. It looks more like this. And we say, this isn't what I, I signed up for this. I didn't sign up for that. My marriage was supposed to look different. It's not supposed to look like that. It's supposed to look like this. My kids turned out like that. I dreamed they would be like this. My career looks like that. I signed up for this. My spiritual life. I said the prayer. But if I'm most honest, it looks like that. I want it to look like this. And so then because of that, we start to, what do we do? We look through and we find... Oh, look at that. I found one. You find a corner. Right? It's the first thing we do. Find the corners. And then you find the border, the edge. And then we start flipping pieces over. We put all the certain colors together because we think that might fit. There's the red bird. We start doing all those things. And then as life goes on, we find out it looks even worse. It's spread out all over the place. And now things are really seem to be getting out of control. It looks nothing like the picture. This is what I signed up for. This is the marriage I wanted. This is the family I wanted. This is the job I wanted. This is what I thought my church was going to look like. This is what I thought it was going to be like when I followed Jesus. And instead, I've got this. My premise for... This morning is oftentimes we lose the dream because we see the end, but we don't want to experience the journey. And I would suggest that a dream is all the pieces of the journey. And when we start to chase after dreams, our lives look nothing like this yet, if ever. Because it's more like an incomplete puzzle. And so this ideal of the perfect marriage and the perfect family and the perfect church and the perfect career and the perfect spiritual growth path, it is just a picture. When really it's puzzle pieces. Oh, sorry, I took them down. It's puzzle pieces. A dream is a piece of the journey. This, I would suggest, is one of the dangers of social media. Because in social media, what do we do? We show the completed dream all the time. We don't show the pieces. The journey to the dream is hard. And it can be discouraging. And it can be confusing. The journey to the dream looks very different from the dream itself because the dream is determined by the pieces on the journey. Let me try to explain that. I'm going to now throw another illustration to explain that illustration. Be prepared. Uh, tomorrow, I am going on a trip to Orlando, Florida. It's a work trip. 
It really is. Can you believe that? Uh, my family doesn't, but it really is, okay? Now, here's the deal. The dream is that I will be in Orlando, Florida tomorrow at about 6 p.m. That's the dream. But there are a lot of pieces and a lot of steps that I need to take to get there. First, I have to pack my bags. I haven't done that, okay? I have a bag in my, living, uh, in my bedroom. Uh, this is another, this is one of those moments for marriages, okay? Uh, uh, I went away three weeks ago, and I thought, why well, put it back in the basement? I'm going to need it in three weeks. So it's there, ready to go. Uh, Kelly doesn't agree with that theory, uh, so we're, we're addressing that. And I will be taking that bag with me. Uh, and then I will be putting it in the basement. But I have to pack my bag, right? Uh, what else do I have to do? Uh, I, have to, um, uh, I have to manage traffic to the airport. I have to successfully navigate ticketing, baggage, and security. And then at baggage again when I arrive, and a rental car and more traffic to the hotel. Now, the whole time, I have to navigate which piece am I going to grab. I have to get to the right gate. What if I go to the wrong gate? That's a choice and a decision I make. Will I get to my dream? I'll get to a dream. <laughs> it might not be the dream that I had started on, right? What if I don't bring my bag? Can I still go through with the dream? Absolutely. I'm going to be wearing the same clothes for four days, but I could get through the dream. But it's not going to be the dream that I have. Because the pieces and the decisions and the what I choose to do with these pieces and decisions impact what the dream is finally going to look like in the end. Paul would say, if you were here with us, give your best. Commit to finish and choose well. So when God gives you and I a dream, why doesn't God just let the dream happen? Why are there so many puzzle pieces? Why are there so many decisions and struggles and discouragement? I mean, why, isn't, why can't we just say, I want the best marriage possible, say I do, and then boom, it happens? Why, is it, why can't I just say, I want the best kids possible, I want them to have strong character, I want them to love Jesus, and boom, it just happens. Why can't God just do it like that? Most people quit on their dreams because they go through this discouragement. So how about if we just didn't have to deal with the discouragement, why doesn't God just make it happen? Why doesn't God just let the dream happen that God has put in us? I would suggest John Mark Comer has one thought on this, that God is more concerned with your long-term character than your short-term happiness. That while you're seeking to finish this, God is working to finish this. And finishing this is going to require you to work through these pieces. And this may look something like this, or, because of your decisions, may look a little bit different. So another way I think I can explain that is that people ask me often, in Voorhees in particular when I'm there, how's the campus doing? How's it going? How's Mount Laurel? And most are asking, are we meeting budget numbers? Are we meeting attendance numbers? Are we meeting new people? All those kinds of things. Important, good questions. But know what I tell them about? 
you. I tell them how God is challenging our lives and growing our lives and that there are men and women who have committed to doing things at this place at Hope that have never committed to doing things before. That men and women's lives are, we're growing and we're changing and we're, our faith is being expanded and together we're working through what God's dream looks like for us that our faith has grown, that we are changed for the better, that there are a group of people who are giving their best, that they're committed to finish, and they're choosing well. And the dream is less about this and more about this. Another thing that I've mentioned already, uh, just briefly, is that each step of the journey informs the dream. You know, I was talking about my, my travel to, to, uh, to Orlando, that each step and decision will impact how the dream ends up. So, and I mentioned also that we turn the pieces up, right, and we, uh, we look at all the different designs, and we look at the shapes, and we look at the, uh, uh, the colors, and, and, and we, we end up working on one section at a time. Right? You'll end up, uh, I'm going to work on this section now. And so sometimes the, the, the dream is, it seems like there's a lot of work going on, but only in one area. Another thing that happens is that sometimes we find out that pieces have gotten lost. They fall on the floor in the process that we always do, we do a puzzle every family vacation when we're with my mother-in-law, it's her thing. And we'll be going through the puzzle and we'll have one whole section done except for one piece. And I'll always say, oh, it's missing a piece. And she's the eternal optimist. Nope, it's here. We just got to find it. And it almost always turns up. Something that we thought went here actually went over here. And so as we're looking at our marriages and our families and our careers and our growth, spiritual growth and all those kinds of things, it really requires us to ask the question, what must I do to make the dream come true? Oh, that rhymed. That was really good. That was handwritten in there. I'm a poet and didn't even know it. <laughs> and so this, I, this idea of the dream that God has for us, whatever it might be, whatever area of our lives, rarely comes out the way we dreamed it would come out. Because of the decisions, because of the struggles, because of the discouragements, while it may not look like the original, it often has similarities. And so I'm then responsible for each moment right now on the journey toward the dream. Because today's moment, today's decision, today's opportunity impacts tomorrow's dream. It's so true for marriages and parenting and career, and spiritual lives. But sadly, oftentimes, dreams turn into nightmares. And when those dreams turn into nightmares, it's because of decisions and struggles and discouragements. And often in those moments when I'm 
talking with couples or with families or I'm talking to someone about their work, they'll say, I don't know how it got like this. I don't know how I ended up. How did we get here? It wasn't supposed to be like this. It was supposed to be like this. I had all the pieces. What happened? And often, it's because they did not give their best. Or there was limited commitment or poor choices. And the dream looks drastically different. The dangerous part here is that the moment we start believing that there are not better days ahead, it's in the moments that we choose to quit dreaming and believing that God cannot, can no longer do miraculous things in our lives. When that happens, we are in the most danger. So my challenge is we connect our prayer life and our dream life. See, this is what happens. In our prayer life, it goes like this. God, we, I want you to do the impossible. And then when our marriage is frail, or our family is in self-destruct mode, or the job's been lost, or we're far from God. Instead of God, do the impossible, it changes to God. Could you just make it a little bit better? God, just let me get through today. And so we begin to have a dream problem then. Because all we can see is the pieces and we've forgotten the dream. I don't believe as Christ followers we should be known by the statement most people are living only a fragment of the dream they once had. I don't believe that's a statement that Christ followers should declare. I believe our journeys towards our dreams can be filled with challenging decisions and struggles and even possibly some diversions. And that we can say, I have fought the good fight. I have given it my best. And I have finished the race and I am committed to finishing what God has for me. And I have remained faithful and I'm going to choose well. I have no casual way of doing this. pass that around you could all take a puzzle piece i'm donating my puzzle because you are one piece of this place that we call hope and together i would challenge you let's give it our best so that someday we will look back and say you know what i remember i gave my best let's commit to finish 
And let's ask that God would help us to choose well in building God's dream community. But this isn't just a challenge for us as a church. Let me also say this may be a challenge for you as an individual. Because each day we are making decisions about dreams. I've mentioned some of them, right? Our marriage, our children, our careers, our spiritual lives, and so many more. I would say that there, you may be here and you're saying, Rick, it looks nothing like this. It looks nothing at all like this. We've lost so many pieces, we can't begin to count. There are gaps missing from our marriage. There are gaps missing from our relationship with our kids. I'm not sure if I can get back to God. I'm so far away. I would challenge you to give your best. Commit to finish. And choose well. And don't allow the dream to die. Pray impossible prayers. Because all the pieces of every dream have not yet been decided the borders the edges in your life are still to be determined there are still pieces yet to be turned over in your life and there may even be a piece or two that is yet to be found do not lose heart do not give up on the dream that god has for you will you stand with me for closing prayer and so, God, I thank you for the men and women in this space. I thank you, God, for the time that we've had to worship here. God, I thank you that you are the one who has created each one of us, that, God, you have put dreams into our heart and into our lives. And, God, I pray that, like Paul, that at the end of life, we would be able to look back and even if we're in a dungeon, in a prison cell, and say, God, I gave it my best. I committed to finish and I chose well. God, maybe for some of us here, it's, it's, it's our marriage is, is frail. It's broken. It's struggling. God, help us to see the pieces that need to be played. Help us, God, to put these things back in place. God, that we would give our best and commit to finish and choose well. Maybe it's our children, God. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our relationship with you, God. In each of these things, God, I pray that we would seek to find the next right piece to play in completing the dream that you have for us. And God, we will look forward to sharing the good news with others about you're a God who never gives up on us. A God who loves us more than we can imagine. More than life itself. And God, that we would know that you have put into us the light of Christ that we can share with the world around us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day.